Dad. No. <laughs> the Lord bless thee. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've been having some some uh, interesting moments with the way my brain has been working over the last few weeks. I was just wasn't sure whether I was missing <laughs> something or, or what. So I'm glad it wasn't me, at least. Uh, so uh, anyway, we're we're in our last Sunday of, of Advent. The, the the theme of the uh, candle that we lit was is that of love and. I was thinking as I was as putting this together, you know, I started out, this is no joke, I had over, you know, probably about 25 pages of notes that I couldn't seem to to get down, and now I've got 30, so, uh, no, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I just, uh, I just did a little bit of, I hope, some, some, almost like cut and pasting here, except I do mine in hand, writing, not on the computer, but, uh, the idea was, is you know, I was seeing several people that were, were wearing pins that, you know, said Jesus is the reason for the season, and, and that's been a slogan for years now as we have seen uh, the idea of, of any Christian emphasis of the quote-unquote holidays uh, being removed and, and being, you know, people saying happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas. Uh, some of you still have those pins that we had a couple of years ago or a few years ago that says, it's okay to wish me Merry Christmas. And uh, it was interesting that uh, in a store the other day, someone said that and said, I can do it then. Merry Christmas. And, and uh, she, she explained to me that the rule was, unless I said it to her first, she was not allowed to say it. And uh, that's not an uncommon Rule. That's become more the norm than the exception for sure. And the whole idea when my thought was the spirit of Christmas is Christ. It's, it's you know, you really want to know how to enjoy Christmas. You need to know Christ. That's all there is to it. And, and Jan, I know you and I have talked about this because over the last couple of years and your commitment to Christ and, and how your first Christmas as a Christian is really so amazing, especially when you, you, when you come as an adult. You've been singing these Christmas songs forever, uh, and you know at Christmas you just you know the Christmas carols, Christmas programs, the Christmas specials, and and all that. In fact, there were far more Christmas specials uh, back in the 50s and 60s because all the variety shows went Christmas, whether it was Ed Sullivan or or uh, Jackie Gleason or any of those shows. They all went Christmas, and they always introduced the Christmas songs. And Andy uh, um, Will- Williams. Andy Williams and, and others, Terry Como. I, I just can keep going on and on and on. And uh, so as a child, I learned all these songs. I didn't have a clue as to what they meant. Uh, and when I was uh, 26 years old, my first Christmas as a Christian, I was really almost, it was an emotional experience to sing the Christmas songs and get ready for Christmas. Uh, because all of a sudden they had a whole different meaning. And that's what I wanted to kind of emphasize this morning, that the spirit of Christmas is knowing Christ. And so much of our communities around us, whether it's the work community or our our athletic communities, if you're involved in sports or maybe you're involved in children's sports, and and is uh, the idea of, 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 of saying a prayer. You hear a football coach that prays before the team and he's getting in trouble or something. And I'm just saying... We, we, as the believers, really need to carry the love of Christ with us because that's how people know the spirit of Christmas. Jesus said, you will be known by the way first you love one another. But that's tied to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's that idea, of, uh, and, and, and Levi presented this last week so well in the, in the, in the Philippians message, of, of Christ emptying himself, 
and then becoming a servant to man. He loved God, he, he loved us, and, he, and, and then he, he addressed himself. And it's called, I'm third. God is first, the other man is second, and I'm third. The more we portray that, the more we can help at least share that idea of, of, of Christ, his love, and if you will, the spirit of Christmas. Yeah, you're in the checkout stands. Uh, and I, again, it's one of those things. It, it, these, these poor, I really feel sorry for some of the checkers uh, right now because people come up and they say, oh, no, that's not the problem. And they get into these horrendous uh, fits of, of, of problems and upset, and the, and the clerk is just taking it. And I, I, I think about it as the opportunity. Start praying. If you see that, in fact, it doesn't matter. Start praying about the clerk before you ever get there that God would put something on your heart to say to them that would bless them. This kind of attitude so that we can bring Christmas to the checkout stand if we can. And, and uh, you know, somebody, you know, I, I mentioned that to a, a friend the other day, and they said, that's easy for you, you're Santa Claus. You know? um, yeah, and, and, you know, after you find kids following you around in the story, sometimes you wonder. But, but uh, uh, the idea is that any, we all can do it, is what I'm saying. It's not just a pastor thing or an elder thing. It's a Christian Believers thing. And with that is, is, is yeah, you know, our understanding of Christmas. And, of course, most of what we look at for Christmas, we get from the Gospels of Matthew and, and Luke in the sense of the angels that come. They, the angels come to Zechariah. The angels come to Mary. The angel, come, the angel comes to Joseph. Um, Caesar's decree uh, for a tax that gets Mary and Joseph to go from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem, and that's one of my favorite things to, to, to dwell on a little bit sometimes, is just the reality that God takes a man who believes himself as, as deity uh, to get deity to move. Think about that. I, I, I think that's an amazing story, and, and it shows you absolutely who's in control. What it is to know the sovereign God. I mean, he's, he's in charge. And, and so they, they go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the manger scene, the shepherds, more angels, you know. Uh, the star that leads the wise men, the wise men themselves. Herod seeking the child himself, not to worship, but to destroy. Uh, their flee to Egypt, coming back after Herod dies and, and, and back to Nazareth. And Jesus, uh, the final uh, few verses of Luke, talking about how Jesus is, is, grows in his, his wisdom, his stature, his relationship with men, his relationship with God. And I find that even interesting because it shows that, again, what Levi was stressing last week, how real it is that Jesus was a, a man, a, a boy, a baby. He had to grow. He, he, you know, people sometimes wonder what they think. He came out of the womb walking, talking, and preaching or something, you know. He, you know, he had to learn all of these things. He, he, was, he went through all of the experiences of, of growing up. So today what I wanted to emphasize was kind of spinning off of, 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 of Levi's message last week and uh, the Jesus emptying himself was the idea that there was a Jesus before Bethlehem. And we really need to remember that it's not just this. It's Jesus, God in the flesh. He was God before he came. He was God while he was here. He was the God-man. I don't know how else to define it. And I don't really know how really to explain that in the, in the best, to be honest with you. And, and he was, and, and he is still God. And he is the person, Jesus, the Son of God. And uh, the same essence in, in being of, of God, the, or the same essence as, as God the Father, God the Spirit, together they, are, they make up the fullness of God, the Godhead. Jesus is the one who, makes, who comes and makes the sacrifice. He is the one that empties himself. He is the one who comes to earth. John, I read the, the whole uh, passage, but John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him 
was not anything made that was made. Very clearly we see Jesus before he comes to earth. He was in, at the creation. He was involved in the creation. It, it came through him. And so we see very clearly Jesus in, before Bethlehem there. And then it says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh. Now he moves into, he empties himself, as Levi talked about last week, and he comes into the world and he's, he's, uh, he becomes flesh. Uh, and and, and uh, uh, dwells among us. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then even the last verse in that passage, verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God, referring to the Son of God, Jesus, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So the understanding there is is that Jesus came in the flesh to what? Reveal who the Father is and to set the, 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 the stage to atone for our sins. And so again, I kind of draw your attention to the, 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 the tapestry up here and the reality of the, the cross and the manger are, are, in a sense, almost synonymous. They're almost, you, know, you, you, you don't have one without the other. Jesus came to do the cross. You know, without Christ, there is no cross, and, without, and, and as a result, there, there's no salvation. As a result, there's no Christmas. There would be no holiday or celebration other than pagan things that go on around the world. Some would do this and some would do that. But the reality is for us, we celebrate the Christ. So, you know, people get off and get sidetracked as to worrying about whether it's really the 25th of December or not. You know, uh, I, I, I've read a number of studies over the years, but pin, pinpointing when uh, Herod dies, which is an actual date that they can go to, which was the... The, the, the late winter of, I think, uh, 2000, or when, you know, I mean, the late winter of 4 B.C., right in that area. You know that it had to happen before that, and because of some other events, it had to happen, you know, very close to that. Uh, and, and so it appears that uh, it could easily be the last week of December, the first week of January. We don't have to worry about the day. The purpose of doing this is just to take that time at least once a year as a a group of believers to share what we believe in with the rest of the world in a kind of outward way of of saying this is who we are and what we believe. And and, uh, the fact that we may do a Christmas tree or may not do a Christmas tree. I know some people do, some people don't. Some people have a rough time with, with even Santa. If you rearrange the letters, it spells Satan. Um... I'm keenly aware of that. I've been told many times. Um, you know, I, 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 I always, when I get the opportunity to, to do a, a time of, of being a, a Santa, I always get the opportunity to share St. Nicholas, the reason for the, the context of, of, of share, sharing the gifts and, and how what a great man he was, and in a sense he was the first Santa Claus. And so wherever you seek a Santa, think of the reality of a very generous boy who was left a tremendous wealth, and how he shared it. You see how easy it is? You know, we just don't have to get sidetracked in any legalistic kind of thing to enjoy Christmas. And uh, I, I just want to share that with you. Now, within the framework of that, you know, I, I'm thinking, here's Jesus. He is pre-existing to Bethlehem. And, and everybody, you know, has that question. What did Jesus know growing up about who he was? I don't know. I know that he was an amazing student of the Word by the time he was 12 because he asked amazing questions of the, of the priests in the temple. He was so caught up with what the priests in the temple might have to share at Passover that he just say, stayed there, and his parents, miss, you know, just kind of took off without him. Has anybody ever experienced that? You were left behind, <laughs> not left behind the other. No, uh, left, be, you know, left behind. I, I have, you know, and and uh, when you come home and find the door locked, though, it was a, you know, 
Um, but it's, you know, and you've got to understand the crowds around the city of Jerusalem because of the Passover. It's, it's, it, it has, uh, I've I read in one account that you'd almost say it had almost, a, it sometimes almost had a carnival affair in the sense that there were people uh, living in tent groups outside of the city gates and, and there were additional markets and things to buy and to sell and people going here and there and all of the, the, the stuff that was going on and people from literally all over the, the Roman Empire, uh, all these different languages going on. And you've got to remember, I, I, no matter what you've learned, Jesus had at least four siblings, uh, five siblings, you know, or, or four siblings. Brothers, I can't remember the list now. Four brothers, I think, and, and at least four brothers, and, and it said sisters. So he was, he was one of several children. You can see how it could happen that one gets set aside, you know, especially maybe he was the quiet one. Who knows? Uh, and uh, they find him, and they looked like they would have looked for a normal 12-year-old. They looked all around. 12 years, you know, that was his first, first time to be able to actually, in his 13th year, you see, it was his first chance to go into the temple as a man. As, as, and, 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 man, he, he just, he maybe never left. I don't know. Uh, but but they, they find him there, and the, the, the priests were amazed. They weren't amazed at how brilliant he was in the sense, but just the, 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 the depth of his questions and, and the conversation. It was clear he was unique among boys. And Jesus did have an interesting answer. He says, did you expect me to be here about my father's business? He knew something. There are a number of, uh, obviously, Old Testament scriptures that refer to, to the Messiah. Uh, some of them are, are the, the Psalms. Uh, messianic psalms, they are called. Uh, you're familiar with many of them. For instance, Psalm 22. Jesus would have been very familiar with that psalm, and he obviously, uh, as an adult, understood where it was leading. Psalm 22, it's, it's a, an amazing picture if you think about it. We understand the cross, generally speaking, most people think of the cross through the eyes of Matthew or through the, the, the witnesses of, of, that shared with Luke or John, or Mark, okay? In other words, we see it through some through an eyewitness's eyes. But you go to Psalm 22, and you see the cross from the eyes of Jesus looking down. It's amazing. He talks about the people around him, what they're saying. In fact, Psalm 22 starts out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it talks about, you know, this is, is written, you know, a thousand years before it happens. And it even talks about the, the, they're at my feet casting lots for my clothes. Very literal. And it talks about the pain, the suffering that was happening. Well, there's, a, there's some scriptures that talk about Jesus, uh, that, that he was going to come as a child. We shared share one in song and as well as around there on the first Sunday of Advent, which would be coming out of Isaiah, that he was born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14. But then in, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, you know, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He will, you know, and it goes through all of the things about him. Uh, Jesus, you know, in a prophetic way, the word of God, I mean, He's, that's his explanation of himself before, uh, before it happens, beforehand. And uh, there's one particular psalm, Psalm 40. But actually, I'm going to look at Psalm 40 in, from, from uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, it, it, it speaks of, of, of Psalm 40 as a reference to Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's talking about the reality of what what the sacrifice is, and and, and I'll start with verse four. Just to, you know, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Keep that in the back of your head to this morning. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, 
Okay, so this is being offered as something that, that Jesus has said when he came into the world. At what point did, this, did he say this? Did he say it just before the incarnation? Did he say, you know, is, it, it, it's hard to pinpoint. There's an, I was looking at a number of old uh, uh, commentaries and, 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 and some of their comments, and they were saying, you know, that it's, you know, things that happen in eternity's world versus our world, you can't put such pins on it and, and stick it and say, that's when it was said or that's when it happened. But this was something that transpired in the sense of, of conversation. And, of course, it, it was written in Psalm 40. Again, so we're looking at a thousand years when it was written before it happened. But it says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Isn't that an interesting statement when you think about it? These words are being attributed to Jesus uh, as, as he came into the world. A body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, God authorized all of that you know, through Moses. And what it means in pleasure is, is that because it didn't do anything final. Okay? It didn't finalize anything. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Possibly referring to Isaiah. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and bird offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by, the will we have been, by, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. In other words, all of these things that have come up to this point haven't done the job. But you've, given, you've prepared for me a body. All of this has been done. And as I come into this world, I come to do your will to accomplish what these couldn't. And all of a sudden, I can't catch a glimpse of, of how, you know, the, again, the pre-existing Christ and, and, and the plan of God before the foundation of the world unfolding before it actually happens. I, I just get, I'm amazed by these things. Uh, it, it, I, I, I feel like the again, Mr. Wong. Whoa, that goes with this over here. <laughs> There's only a few of you that really understand that, but uh, you know, it's it's just someone who who was saying you just read the Bible again and again and again. He says you'll never understand it all, and he says, but every time you read it. Even if you've read the verses before, there's a point where it starts to piece together because you all of a sudden say, oh, Isaiah 53. Oh, John. Oh, Psalm 22. Oh, the cross. You know, and and you, can, you can just see it coming together. And here's another one of those places. I guess the emphasis for me is, is that just knowing, you know, Jesus, you know, there's, there's, there's a Jesus before Bethlehem. And we need to remember that. That's what the world as a whole just doesn't know. They, 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 and, and in fact, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid, and in fact, I know some Christians don't even agree with that. In the, in, uh, well, they, they, I, I'm going to have to put Christians in quotes because I'm not sure how that works if you can not ex- get, well, never mind. That's another sermon. So, so you know, but, but you know, G- Jesus said in, in, in John chapter uh, uh, 8 to the, to the Jews that were, uh, coming at him and, and, and questions and different things. And this was after he had told them that, that uh, uh, they weren't of God, the Father, the, God wasn't their father but the devil because they, if, they had been, if God had been their father, they would believe in him. And so he says, you're, you know, you're not, you're not believing in me and therefore... And then he makes this statement, he says, you know, that he was before Abraham. He's making a statement. I existed before Abraham. The only way that you could put this together based on everything else he had already said was he's calling himself God because he used an I am statement there as well that was parallel to the the burning bush and Moses. And they understood. Because in verse 59, right immediately after that, they were picking up stones and wanting to kill him. Because he had blasphemed, he'd called himself God. The eternal God 
emptied himself, became flesh, and dwelt among us. We've, we've talked about the hope, you know, the, the, the reality of, of those who were looking forward to the coming of Christ. The peace and the joy that reflect that the, the Christ when he came and the message from the angels. And, and, and why did all of this happen? It's because of the love God has for his children. God revealed that love, again, as, as Levi so adequately explained last week, by emptying himself. You see, Jesus, when he came here, what he deserved was for every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he is Christ the Lord. That's what he deserved. Now, there were some who came and worshipped him but the majority didn't even know he was there, and 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 he, he, the King Herod was out to kill him. He humbled himself for our sakes. How much he loves us! He humbled himself, became a man, and 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 sub as a result, uh, a body that is completely uh, susceptible to all the things. That can happen to a man, including physical death. Pain, hunger, sleep, fatigue. And he, because it was a plan before the foundation of the world, as it happens, he does it without any, apparently, without any hesitation. He didn't go back at the last minute and say, gee, let's rethink this. If I do this, I'm going to the, the cross. We're going to experience that that that, that judgment thing. And I, you know, in the garden, he wrestled with that. You know, but no, he comes, he empties himself, he becomes a man to suffer for us. How would the, the work of, of, of God's love be accomplished? How would, you know, the, the, the dilemma was man has sinned. The punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death, separation from God for a few weeks. You know, that's not what it says, is it? No, it's forever. Therefore, you realize that no one can pay. None of us have that kind of, of, of value. We don't have a forever pocketbook. We needed a, a, a unique, special, one and only to come to our rescue and redeem us. And he did. He came. We see it in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, also of what he went through on the cross before, again, words before it ever happened. Jesus came and, and he made it clear that while he was here, in a very unique way, he, he, as a man, he had come to do, and even as the Son of God, he'd come to do the Father's will. He says, I don't do anything on my own. I only do that that the Father has shown me. I only reveal to you and, and share with you what the Father has, has told me. And you can go through John. I was just thinking, just in John alone, there's several verses in, in succession uh, that would give you uh, that statement over and over and over again in, in various ways. And I'm just going to give you the, the scripture references if you want to write them down. But these are just, uh, you know, maybe you know, five scripture references that would say that through the, through the Gospel of John alone. Uh, chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 8, verse 28. Chapter 9, verse 4. Chapter 12, verse 49. And chapter 14, verse 10. All of them in some way explaining that he was here to do the will of the Father. And we see that clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
when he says, not my will, but your will be accomplished or be done. And right down to the, to the coming, in, according to all of the prophetic picture. Back in Hebrews chapter 10, again, the fact that the, the, the bulls and the goats, it says uh, in, in, in verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, or as a result, or as a necessity actually, if anything's going to happen that will take care of the problem, Christ had to come into the world. So it says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he says, he says, the sacrifices aren't going to do it. The blood of the bulls isn't going to do it. The body you have prepared for me, Father, that's what's going to do it. And I submit. And it is written, you know, I've come to do your will. It's done. He does, he, he, and he does it in such a way that he, he covers Everything that needs to be covered. Leaving nothing undone on our behalf. I was reading a, uh, some writing by, uh, I, uh, I refer to him periodically, I, I really enjoy listening to him, Ray Pritchard. And uh, he, was, he was pointing out uh, a number of things about the sacrificial system and, and how it worked and, and tying it into Hebrews and stuff and then tying it back in actually, uh, you know, to the coming of Christ and, and Philippians. He's putting it all together anyway. And, and uh, I wrote down in my notes, I said, okay, Bob, stop and think this through. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the writings of, of, of various historians in reference to the early uh, beginnings of the church and, and, and the, the, the late times of, of, of the Jewish people before Christ came. But there is one writer, Josephus, who uh, has been given a lot of, has provided a lot of information. Some say he was, he was given to some exaggeration uh, because he was trying to make things you know, bigger and better. Uh, as to give the Jews a little bit more uh, clout, maybe. And so I don't know how accurate all of his figures are. And so I'm not quoting them as absolute fact. But, you know, it was interesting. He, he came to the conclusion of about the number of people that would be at, at a Passover. There could have easily been 2.5 million people at, at Passover, which means uh, 200,000 plus lambs slain for Passover. And somebody says, well, they couldn't have all been slain in the temple. Only certain people even went through that. Jesus, and they, they, they didn't even do that themselves. You know, they, they, they you know, so, uh, but just the reality. Another person said, well, the most that could have been was, it was maybe 25,000 lambs. Okay, let's just use 25. Let's use 5,000. That's a lot of, of uh, and I'm just going to be a little bit morbid here in the sense, that's a lot of blood spilled. And that's just one day or two days of, of the year. You realize that every single day there were blood sacrifices going on in one way or another. Whether it was a goat or a, 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 a bull or a lamb or a dove or a pair of doves, there was blood being let every day in some form or way in reference to sin offerings. And so, uh, I, I was just writing here, the sacrificial system set up by God through Moses to show the cost of sin and man's constant need for peace with God. Literally, day by day. And so I said, one day of sacrifices. How much sin do you think that fixed? Or how about a week of sacrifices? Or a year of sacrifices. Or a decade of sacrifices. Or a century of sacrifices. If you start to think about the numbers we're talking about here, it's, 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 it's going up 
you know, geometrically at this point because I'm going to go to millennium of sacrifices. 1,500 years of sacrifices since the time of Moses. How many sins got covered by all of that? Yeah, you're right, Rex. Not one. All of them were a foreshadow of the one sacrifice that would do it. All of that was to teach us we need a blood sacrifice to pay for our sins. And we have to do it over and over and over again because that's not enough. It won't do it. There's only one that will do it. And John the Baptist labeled it very clearly in John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of those sacrifices were nothing more than, in a sense, a stay of execution to put into the reality of the one sacrifice that would work. There's a song that uh, Isaac Watts wrote. There's a lot of songs that Isaac Watts wrote. Um, But one of them was called Not All the Blood of the Beasts. I just wanted to read it to you. Not all the blood of the beasts on Jewish altars slain could have the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. My faith would lay her hand on that dear head of thine, while take a penitent I stand and therefore confess my sin. My soul looks back to see the burden thou didst bear when hanging on the cursed tree and knows her guilt was, was there. Believing we rejoice to see the curse removed, we bless the Lamb with cheerful voice and sing His bleeding love. You know, we don't sing songs like that too often because... Not only are they hard to to understand, but they they have a sound of almost morbidity to them because it talks about blood and it talks about, you know, the, the, the sacrifices. But that's the reality. Our sin required a perfect sacrifice that only God could provide through himself. Before the foundation of the world, that's when the plan came together. Jesus came, the preexistent Son of God, came, became flesh, dwelt among us, to move towards the cross. And uh, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world takes you right into John 3.16. God so loved, so loved us that that He sent His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And so the reality is that we owed an unmeasurable debt. You cannot measure. I'm not capable, neither are you, to measure the debt that we owed other than in general terms, eternal separation from the Father. There is no system on earth that could take care of that. Only the plan of God and His salvation. Any other way, the debt is fully owed. Only through Christ is the debt fully paid. There is no other way for it to be paid. So any attempt that any religion or anything else makes to make themselves right with the universe I caught a bit of John Lennon's birthday party last night on television. I am an old Beatles fan. I don't know whether to emphasize the old, but I, you know, but yeah, you know, and uh, Paul was making a comment, and that was where I happened to catch it. Paul was making a comment to the, something to the effect of, you know, that he's gone on to to to, to you know. And to the greater part of the universe or some kind of bizarre statement. And all I could think of, because I, I had been wrestling with some of this stuff, was without, without Christ, 
I don't care what part of the universe it is, it's going to be empty. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be dark. It's going to be stale. It's going to be anything but glorious. And he won't want to be there. I know that. Because I, even the rich man in Lazarus' parable gives us at least a clear picture. That outside of where God is, you don't want to be. And the reality, you know, the full debt is paid in, in Christ. He said the words, it is finished, and it was done. But there's still the matter of, of, of his drawing us into him, receiving the call, resting in his grace, and realizing that he and he alone is able. Colossians chapter 2, 13th verse, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, every single one, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Just God requiring justice. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over uh, uh, them in him. Isn't that a powerful picture? He nailed our sins to the cross. He said it was finished, and as a result, the rulers and you know the, those who would try to drag us down, meaning the demonic state who would try to bring us down, have nothing to say. And that takes me to the final thought that I have this morning, and that was the picture of, of uh, Joshua, a high priest. Not Joshua after Moses, but later, another Joshua, a high priest, standing before the throne of God in judgment. And here's Satan next to him as the accuser. And I, I, I see Satan... You know, one of those things, things. Okay, I've got my list here. Joshua, this, Joshua, that. He's he's ready to go. He he's ready to make all his accusations. And and God basically ends it before it starts. He says, This is a brand I've plucked from the fire, he's mine. And Satan never gets to say a word. That's how we rest before God. Satan will not be there to accuse us because he has nothing to say. He's, he's shut up already. He's disarmed. It's, it's all taken care of. Because we rest in Christ. We rest in the plan of, of, of God's salvation before the foundation of the world that came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Went to the cross on our behalf said it is finished, went to the grave, and then resurrection three days later to prove that he had the authority to do it. And to lead the way for us in resurrection. That's Christmas, people. And, you know, that's the spirit of Christmas. That's Christmas for all of us. And and we are such a blessed and, and, and a, a people and even those who are suffering in Syria and other places, because they rest in the grace of Jesus Christ, even though for the moment they are in turmoil, and it may even take their life, the one thing they have is it is finished. And that's worth more than anything this world can offer. Celebrate Christ. Celebrate. Have family gatherings. Exchange the gifts. Love and, and enjoy each other and, and have fun with the tree and the decorations and all that goes with that. That's, a, that's, that's family fun and part of our culture. Don't, I don't, but don't lose the spirit of Christmas in the sense of you loving others in a way that, that, that comes with Christ in you. So when everybody else is hectic and upset and having a frustration and, and out of control, you know, you can be the calming influence. <laughs> you can be the one that comes into the midst and, and they're just saying, how come you're so calm? I, I've got the spirit of Christmas. 
Well, what do you mean? I, I've got Jesus Christ and his finished work. Let's go to communion and uh, ask the ushers to come. Uh, pass the emblems out until we've all been served and we'll share together. disciples, having given thanks for the bread and breaking it and passing it to the disciples, he gave them a whole new frame of reference for it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
taking a cup of wine at the end of the meal, he gave it a, again a, a, a picture of, of himself. He said, this is my blood that's poured out. Immediately they understood what that meant. The poured out blood uh, is a reference to the, a sacrifice because the life is in the blood, and that means the life is poured out. He said, this is my life poured out. They understood that. And he said, as often as you do it, he asked that, he, that they would do it in remembrance of him. And all who would follow him, and it's very clear when we read in Paul in 1 Corinthians, it was to be honored over and over and over again through the centuries until Christ returns. And so we share the cup together today to celebrate the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, but also the resurrection of Christ in his coming again. Father, we thank you that we can come together this morning to worship you. We thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you. What a blessing that is. And once again, I, we acknowledge that there are those who, who today have worshipped you already and have done so in a sense of, of extreme risk. We ask a, a, a amazing blessings on them. Lord, that they would, every time they turn, catch a glimpse of the reality that the God of all creation is with them. And give them that confidence and that comfort to rest in you in spite of all of the, the circumstances around them that would tell them otherwise. And Lord, we ask the same for us, that, that we would rest in you in such a way that, that nothing would distract us from the reality that the God of all creation is our Savior, and that you alone are worthy of our praise. And as we go about our, our, our family and, and cultural part of, 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 of what we might do with Christmas, and maybe gift buying or, or any other aspect of it, we ask, Lord, that you would go with us in such a way that we go showing the spirit of Christmas in us. Through your Holy Spirit working in us and through us, that we might be a testimony for you and a blessing for those around us. Give us your eyes and your ears to see what you need us to be doing around us, whether it's in our family or in our community, at any time, but especially now. And again, thanking you so much for the reality that we that we rest in your finished work on the cross. Thank you. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.